The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and really glad that you're here to um, study God's Word together now for the next few minutes. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of James. And if you have a phone app, Bible app, you can use that too. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen or you got an outline when you came in, you can follow along on that outline. So uh, the book of James we saw a couple weeks ago was written by a guy named James. We'll start simple, right? And then um, he's the half-brother of Jesus and he's writing to Christians who are going through a really hard time, a lot of tribulations in their lives. In fact, they were being uh, displaced from their homes, not much unlike the people being displaced by ISIS today. You see, you know, people just leaving, and that's uh, the, the picture of what these people were going through. They were so obviously under a lot of tribulation, but also, as we saw last week, they're being tempted to kind of walk away from God. And so what we're going to see here today, like uh, we may not be fleeing ISIS today, but there are definitely challenges in our lives. There are definitely ways we're being tempted to move away from God. And so the message we're going to hear today is that God wants to speak to us. God wants to lead us, even in those hard kind of times in our lives, either hard tribulations or times of being tempted. And so God wants to, to speak to us. And so um, what I, what, the bottom line thing we're going to need this morning, though, is, is this. And I wish I could, you know, come up with a picture that we could put next to wherever we sleep every night. So we wake up first thing in the morning would be to take a glimpse of this picture. And what I would hope to be in that picture would be this, somehow to visualize what God versus us would look like. Okay, so like if you could have uh, somehow represent God's power versus our power. So let me just try feebly. Like so the Grand Canyon, God created that. And so imagine a trench from here to Shueyville, about 10 miles, and then from here to Chicago, and then about a mile deep. That's the Grand Canyon, all right? And so I dug a hole once to plant a spruce tree. Like that's me versus God, right? Okay, so, uh, or the sun is a very average star, and its core temperature is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit, and maybe on the 4th of July, you lit a sparkler. Okay, so that's, that's God and that's you. There are 100 billion stars in our galaxy. The sun is just one, an average one. And there are 100 billion galaxies all over, you know, this universe. And then we string lights at Christmas. Okay, so um, I, there are like over, I try to find out how many animals are on the planet and all I could come up with, there's like over 8 million and some species of just insects. There are like 10 quintillion insects on the planet. So God created and controls all of these animals. And we can't keep our dogs from jumping up on people, okay? So, so that's like big God and us, okay? So we could keep going on and on. But then even to go beyond the realm of greatness, like what if you went to the realm of goodness? Like if we could somehow in that picture just catch visually how much God loves us, that every single one of us in this room, he knows you. He knows your name. He knows hairs on your head. He knows what you're thinking. He knows when you stand up. He knows when you sit down. He rejoices over you with singing. He is constantly moving towards you in his love. He is faithful to you. He is loyal to you. He is merciful to you. He is gracious to you. Uh, it just, you would be blown away to, if you could somehow visualize 
the love of God. And so, again, greatness of God, goodness of God, and then there's us. Like if somehow we could wake up with that, that picture, I think we would spend the first hour or two hours of that day just literally on our faces, worshiping such an amazing God. And we would love it. The time would fly because we would be so enamored by his greatness, so consumed by his goodness. We would just be there and we would sing to him and we would listen to him, like add that piece to it. Now that God wants to talk to you. That God wants to help you get ready for your day. That God wants to speak truth into your life. I think we would be just listening and we would be writing things down and we'd, that's, that's the heart of our God, and he wants to talk to us. And so that's the concept that I think James is going to try to get through to us today, that we have a God who loves to talk to us, and all he wants for us is to put our faith in him, to trust him in his greatness and his goodness. So what we're going to see in our passage today is that real faith in us, the sign that we've got real faith in responding to this great God, is that we will receive his word, and then that we will um, obey his word. We're not good at that. We, we tend to like to do our thing. We don't like to do somebody else's thing. But we'll receive his word. We'll obey his word. And then what he wants to do is get us to the point where we display his word. That what he's doing in our lives begins to show to the people around us. So to honor his word that we're going to study this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to read our passage. Jacob's going to read it for us, actually. So just listen. The words will be on the screen. Just listen to God's word to us this morning as Jacob reads it. Go for it, man. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Thanks, Jacob. And before we study that, could I just ask you to pray, just kind of quietly as you're standing, could you pray and say, God, would you speak to me this morning? Would you give me something that you want me to hear and put to practice in my life? So you ask God to speak to you. And then could you please pray for me that I would be clear, that I would be humble, that I would just point you to Jesus. Thank you, God, that we get these next few minutes in the presence of such a great and such a good God who wants to talk to his kids. You want to talk to us. So help us listen. Help us put what you show us to practice. In your great name we pray. Amen. All right, thanks. Grab a seat. All right, so again, three, 
responses this morning. How do we receive God's word? How do we obey God's word? And then how do we display God's word? A basic step in any communication process is that you've got to receive the message. And so, for example, husbands, uh, when your wife is talking, you need to receive that message. That means phone down or off, means TV off, game off. It means listening. It means eye to eye. It means nodding. It means active listening, right? You need to receive what she is saying to you. Kids, uh, when your parents are talking to you, it means headphones off. It means you're off Instagram. It means you're listening to what mom and dad are saying. So that's very basic part. And so James says that to start out with, very first thing he says, know this, my beloved brothers. And I love that tone that's immediately set here, that when we have this conversation with God, when God starts to talk to us, the tone here is going to be love. We are beloved of God. So that's the tone. He's going to bring some, some kind of hard things and challenging things to us, but the heart behind this is love. And that distinguishes Christianity from all over all other religions, is that God moves toward us in love. He's going to speak these things to us because he loves us. That's the tone of this conversation. So, so beloved brothers, and he said this, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I've done this before. Maybe you've heard other people take this verse before and use it in our relationships with each other. And I think there's some great truth there that if you are a person who listens more than you speak, you're, you're probably a good communicator. You know, you've heard before you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Like God wants you to listen more than you talk. Uh, and then just you can think through even this week, uh, observing some conversations that didn't go well. Like I wondered, what if both people had just listened maybe better before they started speaking? And so there's definitely some truth here that can be applied horizontally in our relationships with each other. But I think in this context, th- these verses are describing a heart that listens to God. Because if you look at verse 21, right after those verses, it says, therefore, put away, so that therefore kind of links it, because you're supposed to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so this is the main idea right now, is how can you get your heart to a place where you're gonna humbly receive what God wants to say to you? And so then you go looking back at those three imperatives. Okay, be quick to listen. So literally that that phrase means to hurry up and listen. Hurry up. There's an eagerness there. Like, I can't wait to hear from God. Like, God's going to speak to me. Oh, I just can't wait. There's a heart condition there where I just can't. I just, I got to listen to God. I got to be quick to hear from him. So that's one description of a heart that's humble, ready to hear from God, is there's an eagerness. The second one is this, is that we're slow to speak. And so um, this is interesting when, uh, I don't know that this is going on, but when I preach, for example, I don't hear a lot of you out saying, it. nope, that's not for me. No, I can't do that. No, that's too hard for me to apply. No, that was for 2,000 years ago, not today. Like you're not saying that out loud, but sometimes that goes on when, we're, when God's trying to talk to us, that instead of just letting him speak, sometimes we interject our thoughts right away into it. Like, no, well, that's a good one for my wife, God, but that's not for me. Or my kids really need that one, but not me. Like, I think we can, we can cut God off when he's trying to talk to us. Well, that doesn't apply to me. Oh, God, I can't do that. Or I've tried that before and it didn't work, you know? And so, and so just watching our heart's condition, are you really letting God speak? Or are you already just kind of 
inserting this, this dialogue with them. So I've coached a lot of youth sports teams and I, I know the coaches I had, maybe I'm old school guy, but when our coaches talked, like you listen to them. You didn't like, oh coach, what about, you know, or coach, yeah, but coach, I'm gonna do that, you know, that never flew, okay? And so even just at my small level, like that's, that's not a lot of fun. It's like, no, I'm trying to get us all on the same page and we're gonna do this. And you with your 10 year old knowledge, like that's really cool, but like we're gonna go here. Like that's very small scale compared to God. Like God in his infinite wisdom, if we're sitting there talking back to him and all that, he's like, that's not gonna work. So be quick to hear, be slow to speak. You're not talking back to God and then slow to get angry. And I wanna be careful here. Um, because there's a difference. You see in the Old Testament, you see in the book of Psalms, for example, you even see in the life of Jesus that when we go through hard times, God, I think God loves it when we cry out to him in our anguish and when we don't understand and when we call out, God, what are you doing? God, what's going on here? I don't think this is talking about that. In fact, Jesus models this for us. The night before he's crucified, he's in the garden and he's anguishing before God and he's praying God, if there's any way to take this cup from me, to take the whole cross thing away from me, if there's any way you could do that. So he's pleading with God. I don't think that's what James is talking about. The slow to get angry is where our fist is clenched at God. And we're saying, God, you ripped me off. God, you, and you're just not, you're not in that posture of listening. That God, right now, in fact, in this book of James, he's speaking to some people going through some incredibly hard times. But he, you know, he's warning them, if that fist is up and you're just angry at God, you're not going to hear from him. In fact, I think Jesus models that for us well, is that he not only in his anguish asked the Father to take the cup from him, but then he said, but not my will, but yours. There's still that humility that needs to be in there, even when we don't understand, even when we're frustrated. And so, again, God's not saying hide your feelings, and he already knows what we're thinking, right? So, but don't, don't come at him with that clenched fist. Clinched fist. So uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, uh, slow to be angry. And then he also added this phrase, put away filthiness, rampant wickedness. Uh, a good discipline to have when you're ready to listen to God, when you're ready to read the Bible, is to spend a minute or so and just confess any sin, to confess any part of you that's already going in a direction away from where God's going to lead you. If you know that, then you just confess that. Otherwise, you're going to be reading the Bible. It's going to be telling you to go this way, and you're going to be taken off that way. You're not going to hear. So you lay aside filthiness, rampant wickedness. And so then the result is, is that his word is implanted in us. Remember, verse 21 said, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. That's an amazing concept is what God wants to do is not just kind of fill your head with a few more facts. You'll do good at Bible trivia. You know, he wants to implant truth into your soul that's gonna save your soul. Like he, he wants to rescue you with, with teaching, with words, with truth that he has for you. He wants it to impact you so much that it, that it saves your soul. It's, we saw this in James 1 at the beginning of this book. James warned him, you're gonna go through various trials. You're gonna have hardships in your life. And then in verse five he said, but in the midst of those hardships, ask God for wisdom. And God gives wisdom generously. He's not going to just roll his eyes at you and go, why are you asking for wisdom? He's going to give it to you generously. And here's a picture of how he does that. He doesn't just give you things for your head, but he implants his truth in your soul. 
In Jeremiah 31, there was a prophecy about God doing this one day for his people. And the prophet Jeremiah, God said this, uh, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. That, that's awesome. This, there's a profound thing God's trying to do here when you read his word is he's trying to take life-saving truths and implant them in your soul. And so let me, let me just clarify that a little bit. So first of all, that first, that first seed that needs to be planted in our hearts is the seed of the gospel, which is that there's a God who made all of us, there's a God who loves all of us, but every one of us has rebelled against that God, and the Bible calls that sin. We've rejected God. We do our thing instead of his. And so the way God and his love responded to that is he had Jesus Christ die for us on the cross, take our sins on him, and then in exchange, Jesus gives us his life. We are forgiven. We are given new life. And then we can call God our Father. We can be in a relationship with God. And so that's, that's the very first truth God wants to implant in your soul because that literally will save your soul. Because if you go through the rest of your life in rebellion against God, the Bible is very honest that there is a judgment coming for us. It does not, we, me versus God does not work. That showdown is not good. That's bug versus windshield, okay? It's over, all right? And so, but God is offering me the chance to be restored, reconciled, forgiven, so that I can be in relationship with him. And so that clearly rescues our souls, that saves our souls. But even the rest of our lives, if you've taken that first piece of truth from God, and now he is, Jesus is your savior, you have that relationship with God, this whole thing about saving your soul, it's a whole picture of our lives. It doesn't just happen that first moment where you're saved from your sins, but it happens throughout your life because you're gonna continue to battle with sin. You're gonna need truth to set you free from that sin. And so that's what God wants to do with his word is that he wants to implant that word in your soul because whether you know it or not, sin is killing you. It's robbing your joy. It's destroying your relationships. And so God loves you so much that he wants to take his truth and implant it in your heart to give you life. There's a guy around here, um, and I, I'm going to hopefully introduce him to you in a couple weeks and let you get a glimpse of what his life is like. But he um, is, is a physician at the hospital here, University Hospital, and he does transplants. And his, his schedule is sometimes just talking to him. It's, it's amazing that there's days where kind of at a minute's notice, he's on a plane flying to Sioux City, to Mason City, to somewhere to... To, um, to receive an organ from somebody who's dying. And then in a quick turnaround, flying back to Iowa City and implanting that, that, that organ and giving life to a person. Can you imagine the full range of emotions in just that one day, the grieving and sadness on one end and yet the celebration and the life on the other end and just that picture of that new organ now, you know, injecting life in the person who was dying. And so a picture of what God does for us through his word. And so we can be so casual about this book sometimes, but what God is trying to do is he's trying to rescue our souls from sin. And so that's why do we receive this book? Why do we listen to this book? It's because God is rescuing our souls from sin. So if we could say there's one takeaway from this morning at least, if we stop right now and say, what's a good takeaway so far? I, I think you see this one coming. Like we, we should be in this book more. Like we should get God's word into 
our lives. We've got to listen to God's word. And so please do not, like right now, go to the guilt bunker because I know I'm talking to people that didn't read the Bible this week or maybe this month or maybe this year or maybe it's been a while. Okay, I'm not saying this to get you guilty. I'm saying this to fire you up a little bit that, that we need these words in our lives and in our souls. And so we can throw out all kinds of excuses, you know, you know, I'm busy, uh, I don't understand it, you know, when I read it, and so, I, you know, I, I think we're going to have a hard time, I, I'll just say this, in 2015, in the United States, we are the most fortunate people to have ever walked this planet, as far as accessibility to the Word of God. Uh, I can get it on my phone. I can get it on my laptop. If I, I, you know, how many copies? You could go right out there and buy one. Uh, how many versions are there? Like, you know, 50, 100, 200. Like, you can get it in picture form. You know, like, I, I love the stories. We've had neighbors before that have never read the Bible, but they have a baby, and they start reading the stories to their kids. And, you know, there's a picture of Jesus and a bunny, you know, and then there's, but they start learning about the characters, and they start learning about the stories, and that lights them up to read more and more and more. So, there have never been a, there's never been a people that has had such access at any level to the Word of God, or I, well, I don't understand the Word of God. Like, there's so many resources out there available to us. I just don't think that excuse is going to fly. Like, when we get to heaven and we're bumping around and having conversations, and, oh, how much did you read the Bible? I didn't read Well, when did you live? Uh, 2015? You know, we're going to run into people like in the 1400s. We're going to read into people that, you know, weren't even literate. They had to go and hear the Bible read to them. Or even in our day today, where there's parts of the world where people are killed if they're caught with the Bible or caught studying a Bible. So they take fragments of the Bible and they meet in, under the cover of darkness to read and, and learn and memorize God's Word. So I don't think it's an accessibility issue. I really do think for us, it's a heart issue. We really don't think we need it. We're, we're doing fine. Again, if we could just go back to that picture that I wish we could wake up and see every morning, I think that would just ignite us and fire us up to get into this book. One of the, for further studies I gave you, like if you haven't been reading the Bible for a while, I gave you one of the longest chapter. I give you the longest chapter in the Bible to read, okay? So it's Psalm 119, but one reason I give that to you is if you read through that, it's David's response to God's word. And what you'll see in that, I'm encouraging you, just make two columns. Like, how does David describe God's word? And then what does David say God's word does for him? That's a chapter I go back to. There's, there's days where, there's weeks where it's hard for me to get into this book and hard for me to want to listen to God. And so you'll see things from David like, God, your word is a lamp to my feet. You know, imagine trying to walk in the dark, but God's giving you light, that your word is as sweet as honey, that this is satisfying, or that God's word is more valuable than gold. You'll just see so many descriptions there that, um, again, I just got to encourage you, uh, take a step. Don't just leave guilty today. I should read my Bible more. Just start, just start reading it. Start in one of the Gospels. And here's a couple other things. Just ask people around you. I love it when people do this. Sometimes people have asked me, well, how do you study the Bible? Or what, what should I do when I read the Bible? Just don't be afraid to ask. Don't be ashamed to ask. Get, or, or get yourself in a group of people that are reading the Bible. And if I could throw one other just invitation out there. If you are leading a Bible study, if you are leading others 
as you're teaching God's word to them, can you make sure that you're also teaching them how they can do this on their own, how they can do this at home? Like they don't have to just come and hear you, but they could come and do it uh, on their own. A few years ago, there was a guy, you might even be here this morning, that just popped in uh, with some Fight Club guys on a Tuesday morning and just threw it out there. I haven't read the Bible in a long time. It's like, glad you're here. And so just being at the table week after week and watching guys study the Bible, about two months later, he thanked the guys. He said, thank you, because as I've watched you guys study the Bible, I know how to do this. And so I have my own personal fight club at home every day. Like I read the Bible and I'm getting it into my life. And so I, I pray that that would happen, that as we're teaching the Bible, as we're reading the Bible together, that others are learning how to do that as well. So please don't hesitate to ask. Again, we see the urgency here. God is wanting to communicate with us and he's trying to rescue our souls from sin. So um, that's good. So that's the first step is we have to receive the word. And the second step here is that we have to, uh, James is encouraging us to obey the word, that if we have faith in God, we're going to listen to his word. We're also going to obey his word. And so hearing is a great step, but um, husbands, you know, if you do a good job uh, on a date night and you've listened, you know, you've nodded a lot, you've said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, that's wonderful. You know, like, you've done a good job listening, but if you haven't changed, like, if you haven't done anything your wife said, that's not going to work, right? Or kids, if your parents said, uh, we like you to clean the room before you go to bed tonight, it's not going to go well. If they circle into your room that night, it's still a mess, and they go, yeah, that was really cool the way you said clean your room. Like, it was really clear. I really liked how you worded that. Like, it's not, that's not going to work. Their parents are going to go, oh, well, at least you heard me. Like, no, you got to, you need to act on this. And so, and so that's what James is saying next. Yeah, you're going to hear amazing things from God, but now the next kind of no-brainer step is, let's put this to practice. Let's do this. So he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, uh, deceiving yourselves. And then it gives this great picture that God's word is like a mirror, that the reason you want to be reading God's word is that because in his love, he's going to show us things that are true about us. And because God loves you, he's going to show you these things not to shame you or to like taunt you. Oh, look at you, look at what you struggle with. I don't struggle. Like that's, that's not the heart of God, but he loves you and he's trying to show you what's really going on in your lives, really because there are things that need to change in us. And he wants to be the one to come and implant truth in our lives so that we do change. So that's the heart of our God. So last night was homecoming for both City High and West High. Um, both my girls had homecoming last night. So, and one of my girls hosted eight of her friends to come to our house to get ready for homecoming. So in guy world, homecoming starts at 7.30. I think that means they roll in at about seven, right? 7.15. Uh, no, they were there at two. Like all these girls are there at two o'clock to get ready for homecoming. Really cool side story is one of the youth leaders here, Jill Onan, came at two o'clock and did everybody's hair. I'm so glad I didn't, and, I'm, and Lori's glad she didn't have to, but like how awesome that was. She just came and served my daughter and her friends for four hours, like wow. So, and then I look at what these, what these girls were bringing to get ready, and they're bringing mirrors. Like I'm thinking, I, if guys are doing this, you bring a football, maybe you bring a couple video games and some chips, and you're just hanging, right? And so 15 minutes ago, oh, we should get dressed. You get dressed, and then you, you go. But no, they have mirrors because they're, you know, wanting to look right. In fact, I've heard 
this, this, maybe you need to test this out in your own life and see if this is true, that the way that men and women use mirrors is completely different, okay? And so you want to be, as far as God's word goes, you want to be more like the woman does because when a woman looks in the mirror, she's looking for something to change. She's looking for, okay, that hair needs to be fixed or this or that. Um, but a lot of times a guy will use a mirror to admire himself, okay? So... <laughs> So that's why you got guys, like maybe a guy doesn't look at the mirror in his house hardly at all, but like where he goes to work out, man, there's mirrors everywhere, okay? So he can kind of watch himself and admire himself working out. Like even try this one out too. Let's say both a man and a woman look at themselves in the mirror and they detect that maybe they're like 15 pounds overweight or so. And so the woman might go, well, you know, that's not a big deal. I'll just start working out more and I'll just cut back on my calories. I'll just fix that, but I'll get on it. And the guy would look at that and go, that's a bad mirror, man. I can need a better mirror. I don't look like that, you know? And so that's the way that goes. But God says his word is a mirror for us. And God in his love is going to show us what's really going on. And here's where, this is why you look at the Bible, not other books, not other self-help books. But look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says this, that all scripture is God-breathed. That's why we go to this book. Every word you read in this book is breathed out by God. This is God communicating to his people. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for four things. Listen to what it says. For teaching, that means it's going to teach you how this life should be lived. It's for correction. Or I'm sorry, teaching reproof. Reproof is when we step off of that path. And so it's God saying to us, Doug, you are not on this path now. It's, it's reproving us, but then it's correcting us. God's word will teach you how to get back on the path, how to get back where you should be. And then it trains you in righteousness. It trains you to stay on the path the next time and not veer off. And so this book is incredibly useful, profitable. It's the very word of God. And so that's what God wants to do in our lives. And so here is a danger zone that some of us are in as far as hearing and doing the word of God. And so, you know, like in the summer when the conditions are right for a tornado, everybody gets mixed up. Is this a watch or a warning? So that would be a watch. Okay, so let me throw out a a deception watch here this morning. It is possible that some of us are being deceived. And, and James said that. He said, be hearers of the word, not doers. Or, or, I'm sorry. Be doers of the word, not merely hearers, deceiving yourselves. There are some of us that the conditions are right for us to be deceived. And those conditions are this, that it could be that we've been, <clears throat> we've been around God's word a lot. We're just not doing it. Like we're familiar with it. We've heard that. Doug, I've heard this passage before. I've, you know, this is about the 20th time I've heard James preach. You know, it's those, those kind of thoughts and comments or to immediately go, man, Lori could use this one. You know, or my kids, I wish they were here because they, they need this message right here. We can easily deceive ourselves that God isn't actually saying something to us. And what's doubly dangerous about deception is that you don't know that you're, you're being deceived. If, I mean, that makes sense when you think about it, but if you're being deceived, you're not the one to let yourself know that because you're deceived. And so you, you need people around you. You need people in your life that are picking out the things that you're not putting to practice. And so, um, and this is especially dangerous because Jesus, again, Jesus loves us. Jesus was very clear in his love for people when he taught them. But he said some very incredible things in Matthew chapter seven. In Matthew seven, he's He's given a picture of the end times 
where you know there's been judgment and now people are are approaching him about are they going to be judged well and so they give him this list of things that they had done for him and maybe in our vernacular it would be things like i went to church or i led bible studies or i did this and that and jesus response to them was i never knew you depart from me you evil doers And then he goes on and he told this parable. It's one of the most famous parables, but I want you to listen to it in the context of James 1. So Jesus said this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And then he goes to the flip side. But everybody who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. So two men uh, heard the same teaching, the same truth, the same storm came on both of those men. And yet one man heard and did the word, and he stood strong. But one heard and just kind of blew it off, and his life was crushed. Again, Jesus isn't like mad at you saying those words. He's loving you, saying, what are you doing with my teaching? You can't just hear it. You've got to do it. And so the, the reason some of us, you know, the longer it seems like you're in church, the longer you have read the Bible, there's a danger zone that we can become so familiar with this that we don't have the same urgency to start putting it to practice. And God's warning us there. He's saying this word isn't meant to just be heard. It's meant to be obeyed. You know, some of my highlights this year, ministry-wise, um, a couple of people that I know just really battled with the gospel to understand it and embrace it. But one of the coolest things is right when they did understand the gospel, they, they said this to me. There was one of the sermons Jeff gave either on Mother's Day or Father's Day talked about loving the most unloving people in your lives and these these people put it to practice with someone and it totally flipped that relationship and so to hear brand new believers that are just starting to read the bible say do you know when you obey the bible it really works like it's like yes that is so awesome you know to to experience that or uh, a guy a friend of mine a guy i met with this week again who um february when he came into my office uh, and already things that already happened to his life over the last couple of years, and just beat down after beat down after beat down, hardship after hardship after hardship. And back in February, there was despair. But even in those moments of despair, there was a receptivity to truth. And that each, each month as we continue to meet and I get updates, and I am so blown away by a man that in the midst of incredible hardship is still clinging to what's true and is putting it to practice. So much so that the other day I just had to say, you know what, I am so thankful that you're still alive. I'm still thankful that we're still friends because we had, to, we had to say some not easy things here. And I am so thankful that you are listening to what God is saying and look where he's brought you. Look where you were and look where you are. It is a powerful thing to see God's word applied in life. And so that's the same thing God wants to do for all of us. And so if we're in that that watch zone, that deception watch. Here is the best thing for us. I think what God has designed for us is the church. And the church is meant to be a place, not where you just hear God's word taught, but where you live 
in community with other people, that you're studying God's word together with other people so that they are the ones to help you see where you're being deceived, where you think you got it down and they're asking you a few questions. Well, well, how's that passage doing in your marriage? How's that passage doing in your relationship with your boss? You know, how's that doing in your attitude toward your studies? And, and a place for you to say, you just read the Bible together, say, I'm not doing that. Could you help me? Could you pray for me in that? In fact, I, I've had a couple in the last week or two. Um, I have been a punk dad with one of my kids over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, the principal will be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. There's one of my kids that it has not been slow to get angry. It's been too quick to get angry. And so to get to a place with somebody in my life that, that has put that out there and that they press in with that and they ask questions about that and they pray for me about that and they circle back the next week and ask about that. I think where we get in danger is sometimes when we study the Bible alone and we could be deceived but we don't know it, we're not putting it to practice because we've shut off everybody else from our lives. But I think what God gives us, the amazing gift, is, is his word and then a place where people accept us, love us, and, and confront us with, with the truth. And so I, I might even put this out there. The person in this room, and I don't know how you measure this or how we would see this, but the person in this room that is really growing closer to God right now might not be the person that's in six Bible studies, seven Bible studies, eight Bible studies, but maybe somebody who's really committed to two or three, but also has people in their lives that know how they're doing, that know what's going on, that know what's going on in their heart, and who are praying for them, asking the hard questions, and helping them put God's word to practice. That, the, that is where we take off. That is where God's word gets implanted and saves our souls. So if I could stop us again, my, my question to you would be this. Uh, what, what are you doing to obey God's word? What's your plan in your life? Where's you know, the regular place where you're not just learning God's word, but you're making sure it's being put to practice? And who are the people in your life that are, that are walking with you through that, that are helping you put God's word to practice? And, and so again, I just put that out there to people, leading groups and all that, make sure we're not after just content acquisition, but we're also after changed lives. And so if you're leading a group, are you teaching, but then also giving a chance for your people to be real and to be honest about how they're getting this or how they're putting it to practice. And so, and so because faith will receive, faith will, re, will obey. And then the cool thing is that then God's word is put on display in your life. So verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no longer a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all he does. And then he goes on to describe what that could look like. He says, if anybody thinks he's religious, but doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. That person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So when God starts implanting his truth in his life, it's going to show up. People are going to see it. And a couple ways that he mentions specifically is that how you talk will change. How you talk will change. Jesus said from the overflow of our heart, our mouth, our mouth speaks. It's like your tongue is a dipstick to your heart. You want to see what's going on in your heart? Listen to your speech. You're complaining a lot, whining a lot, grumbling a lot, cutting people down a lot. You know, if that's the kind of stuff coming out, there's, there's some junk in your heart. And so what happens is when God keeps planting his truth in your heart and plants that in your soul, you start killing sin in your life. 
and start getting alive in your heart, your speech is going to show that. You're going to talk in a whole different way. There's a whole chapter, a whole big chunk of James that's going to talk about our speech in chapter 3. So we'll hit that then. But it's also going to change how you walk. And, and how you talk and how you walk. How you walk is that you're going to treat people around you completely differently. And he mentions widows and orphans. In Jesus' day, in James' day, they were top of the list as far as needy, you know, living in poverty. He went, he went to the top of the stack. Same is true in many parts of our world today that those are still people that I think the heart of God would say, make sure you're meeting the needs of widows and orphans. That's why I highly encourage the ways we do that as a church, the YZM ministry in Ethiopia, the Rafa House, the rescue run that's coming up next week to support the ministry in Cambodia rescuing girls from human trafficking in Cambodia. So love movements like that. Love it when groups around here go and support our widows in this church. Those are powerful demonstrations of authentic faith. But I would say, you know, sometimes even to bring that a little closer to your life, like think, think of this. In this next week ahead, who and they may not be widow or orphan, but who are the neediest people in your life as you walk through your, your daily rhythm? And what's your attitude toward them? Are you moved toward them? Or do you kind of walk around them or look away from them? I think the sign that God is really working in a heart is that you'll see people who are moving toward, not around and not looking away, but moving toward people in need. And so... Um, that's what God's word looks like when it's displayed in our lives. And he walks us through our temptations. He walks us through our trials. And he takes us to this sweet spot where people can just tell there's something radically different about you because he is changing your heart. And when that happens, here's the cool thing. When that happens, there is no way that either one of us are going to say, yep, look what I did. And it's awesome, man. I just kind of worked on it for a while and then it showed up. Like, we're just going to be totally humble in this. We're going to say, no, there's a God who loved me. There's a God who spoke to me. There's a God who gave me truth in his word. And then there's a God who implanted that truth in my life. And in each step of the way, all I did was trust him. All I did was, was believe. And so I read his word because I believed he could change me. I obeyed his word because he said to, and, and he now has done these things in my life. And he invites you into same thing. So let me pray for us. Sorry, I don't know why we're popping up here, but um, let me pray for us to wrap this up. And I want to pray over us as a church something that's in your outline. It's something that Pastor John Piper uses to prepare himself to hear from God's word. He calls them the IOUs. Let me just pray these over us this morning to wrap up this message. First, he, he, he quotes Psalm 119, incline my heart to you, so God, would you do that this morning? Would you move our hearts toward that place where we will receive your word? Our hearts can be so distracted. Our hearts can overlook who you are, but force our hearts, incline our hearts to you and to hear from you. And the O is open my eyes. God, open our eyes that when we do read your word, we see amazing truths in there, that they would be compelling to our hearts, that we would, we would see you more clearly. And the you is to unite our hearts. God, would you unite our hearts to fear you, to be in awe of you above everything else in this life, that you would be our first pursuit. So unite our hearts to fear your name. And then satisfy me with your steadfast love. God, I pray 
that you would take my soul to a place where it would seek to be satisfied in you above every other pursuit in this planet, that you would help my soul crave you and what you provide for me. And God, set your people free to get in your word, to receive your word. God, may there not be any guilt or shame out of this message, but instead a clear invitation from our God who loves us and our God who wants to talk to us. Thank you. In your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.